All right, well, let's uh, get into God's Word together. Hope you'll grab a copy of God's Word there um, in your home or on your device there on your phone and open it to the book of James. We're in chapter 5 and um, this week and, and next week, and uh, we, we, we may have a couple more weeks up, but I, I think next week will probably be the last week in the book of James. We'll see uh, as I get into studying that passage next week. But, um, but this week, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 7 um, through 12, and we're going to be talking about patience in suffering. And as we all know, and as we have all experienced, life in a fallen world is hard and, 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 and difficult and painful at times, and we encounter suffering to various degrees, and we encounter trials. As we talked about at the beginning of the book of James several weeks ago now, couple of months ago even, um, the, the idea of, uh, of dealing with the difficulties and the trials and needing to be steadfast under trial as James opens up his book talking about that. Well, now we're on the back side of the book in chapter 5, and he's back to this idea and, and, and more specifically talking very specifically about suffering. And, and in this case, it's going to be uh, these folks were suffering injustice at the hands of, of, of others. And, and so James deals with the very reality of this broken world that we're in, and, and it's why it's such a practical book for us because we all know suffering is real, trials are real, pain in this life is is real and and rather than not having to suffer if you're a Christian because you're God's child we understand that many times you suffer more, right? Because sometimes persecution happens, a whole new kind of suffering. And so even as God's children, we know we're not spared suffering in this fallen and broken world, but that rather God uses it for our good and for his glory as he refines our faith, improves our faith, and strengthens our faith through it. And so last week uh, in James 5, we saw that some of the rich landowners were stealing from and treating the poor uh, uh, very poorly, treating, treating them badly, horribly. Um, and this was also mentioned in James chapter 2 when the church is told that the, the rich are dragging them into the courts and manipulating the court system as a way to abuse them. And, and, and so James is writing the whole book right, in the context of, of vulnerable people that are, that are suffering, uh, many of the poor, especially in the church, suffering at the hands of others and at the hands of many of the people that had wealth and power in that day. And so, and we know, as, as we study the early church, you can go back to the book of Acts, and if you start just kind of thumbing through Acts and reading different stories, you'll quickly see that the early church suffered all sorts of injustice and persecution. It, um, suffering and, and persecution and injustice ha has been a part of what the church has, has seen and suffered since its very beginning, and uh, this is life in a fallen world. And we saw in James 1 that as believers, we're called to steadfastness in the midst of whatever trials that we encounter. Uh, God uses those, like I said, to prove and strengthen our faith. And today, we're going to see that James is going to call us specifically to, be, to being patient when we suffer, uh, to patiently endure suffering. Um, I think about it like, the, you know, when you think about the stock market, if you have a retirement fund, or really if you've ever invested in any kind of way, but in particular if you think about long-range investing like on a retirement fund, you know one of the keys to investing well is patient endurance, right? The stock market tends to go up and tends to go down, and the people that tend to have better success with it are the people that have a long-range view, and they patiently endure those difficult, you know, 2008 kind of times, right? And the kind of times that we've seen here um, in, 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 all, in, our, in the last six months. And so, um, the, but as things go 
down in time. They tend to go up. That's no guarantee. We know that in this fallen world, but they tend to go back up. Uh, but you have to wait things out. You have to be patient. If you just go around uh, putting money in there and pulling it out, um, that, that, that doesn't work very well. And similarly, in the Christian life, we have to hang in there when things get bad. We have to patiently wait because something is coming. Uh, there, there is going to be an end to the suffering, but we are to patiently endure, uh, not give up, uh, not retreat, but to hang in there with our faith. And so James is going to encourage us to be patient in our suffering, to patiently endure here today in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. So you can read along with me here, starting in James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So big themes here in this passage are patience and you see their steadfastness in suffering. And the big idea is that as believers, we, as we encounter suffering in this life, we are to meet it with patient endurance. We are not to become frustrated. We're not to turn on God. We're not to turn on one another, even though we might get frustrated. We are to stay focused, to keep our heads and our faith about us. We are with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ as we await his return patiently waiting. And listen, we know patience is hard. That's why we, you know, we always say, you know, patience is a virtue. Well, it really is. It's a fruit of the Spirit, actually. Um, but we, we, we struggle many times with patience. We, in our culture, um, we, 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 we try to avoid patience, right? We try to avoid even having to show it. That's why we have microwaves. That's why when we go to the parks, we have fast passes. Uh, that's why we have online shopping. That's why we have prime shipping on Amazon. Uh, that's why you get ad-free music and ad-free TV because we don't want to wait through those things. We don't want to have to be patient. We try to avoid that. Uh, when we have to wait, we tend to grow impatient. Even a leisurely game of golf for me sometimes turns into how quick can I play this round, right? Uh, is somebody going to slow this down? How quick can I get in? Because it can, can take a long time and I can grow impatient. We don't like to wait. And, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy that I'm counting the items in my grocery cart to see if I'm at 10 or under so that I can get in that line. And, and if I'm at 12, I'm going to round down. Um, I get very upset at some of you who round down at like 20, but, um, but I know none of our folks would do that. But we, don't, we, we avoid the line, right? We want to slide into the quick line, right, and do whatever because we don't want to have to wait because when we wait, we tend to grow impatient. So let's just, we, we just try to purposely avoid situations where patience would be required. Uh, that's just, uh, it's just a, something we do in our culture and in our lives. And it's hard to know if you're patient or not if you never have to practice patience, right? But suffering demands it. Uh, suffering strips everything away and says, now you're gonna, we're going to find out if you can patiently wait and endure. It, it demands patience. 
And in life, we find ourselves forced into situations many times where we will find out if we have this particular fruit of the Spirit or not. Uh, we'll find out if we're patient. And, and, and suffering is one of is those times that will bring that about. So our big idea today is that believers are called to patiently endure suffering. And that's simple, right? And that's the big idea here of the text. Believers, as believers, were called to patiently endure suffering. The question is, how do we do that? How can we do that? How can we grow in that? What are, what are some principles that we can put into play? And this text reveals some ideas here, some keys uh, to patiently enduring our trials, to being patient in suffering. And so I want to sum it up this way. It's, it's a call to look up, to look in, to look around, and to look back. So let's kind of walk through that together through the text. Number one, we need to look up. We need to look up. James tells them to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Patience is always about attention, right? And so here we say we're waiting on the return of Christ until Jesus comes back. And so and anytime you're dealing with patience, there, there's a tension of the in-between. You're waiting on something. You're, 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 for instance, you can be patiently waiting for a meal at a restaurant, right? And the tension is you're hungry. And the tension is you're having to wait. And you, you, they told you it would be 20 minutes, and now it's been 30 minutes, right? And there's this, there's this tension of are you going to be patient? You, you, you patiently deal with someone at work maybe who um, is frustrating you. And there's this tension of not being rude and not being argumentative and things of that way. So you patiently um, have to... You, create there's this tension where you have to patiently bear with someone or maybe you patiently endure a job that you don't like while you work towards one that you will like right and so there's this there's this tension of doing your job well and hanging in there right and patiently going through that and the point is in those situations in that tension there's always a resolution that you're looking to that's why patience is required right there's no need for patience if there's no resolution Right? Patience involves, there's, there's a waiting. There, there's, a, there's a resolution to this, it would seem. And, and here, what we see in suffering is there is a, there is a tension. There is something we're waiting on. That the thing is, suffering is going to end. It's not going to be forever. Now, we know it can end in two ways as Christians. We can die, right? And our suffering ends, and we go to be with Jesus. And, or, and what he's talking about here is, Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, all suffering is going to cease, right? He's going to come back. He's going to receive us to himself. And, and there's, one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth with no sin and no suffering. Christ is going to return, and he's going to put an end to sin and to suffering once and for all. And there will come a day when patience is not needed. And we can praise the Lord for that. And James illustrates here uh, with the idea of the farmer. He says the farmer is patient, he patiently waits for the fruit of his harvest. The, the early and late rains that he waits upon here, they, they were months apart that James is illustrating with here. They, 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 the, he had to wait for months between these rains. And while there was other rain, these particular rains, because of when they came in terms of the harvest, were critical to, and were needed. And the farmer had to patiently wait on the rain to get the harvest that he was seeking. And as we go through suffering, particularly if we suffer unjustly, we must be patient, knowing that the desired outcome um, for the seed of faith in our life is sure to come. And that will happen when Christ returns. So we're looking up, longing for his return. We will be transformed, the Bible teaches, when Christ comes. We'll be made like Christ. And the unrighteous, those outside of Christ, are going to be judged. And this is relevant here because these people were being mistreated. They were being 
treated poorly and unjustly and even persecuted maybe before, because of their faith. And, and, and they had to understand they didn't have to execute vengeance because God was going to perfectly execute justice. He, he would vindicate his people. And God will always, ultimately, in the end, he's going to vindicate his people when persecuted. And so one of the, the keys here to longing for Christ's return is that he is the judge. And you see that picture in the text. He is the judge. And we're waiting on the judge to return, to, to, to vindicate his people. But we also wait because suffering in all, in all of its weight, forms are, are, going, are going to be gone when we go to be with Christ. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth with no suffering. You know, the farmer had zero control over the rain, right? No control. He had no control when it came or how much would come. He had to simply wait. And, and, and really, there's a lot about farming in which the farmer has no control over. He can till the land. He can plant the soil. But he can't make it rain. He can't control the temperature. He can't make the seed grow. There's so much it's out of his control. And when we go through suffering, we are reminded that there's a lot in life we can't control. And we can't control when it ends. We can't control what other people do to us. We can't control so many things about our circumstances. We have to patiently wait upon the Lord with the longing of his return and knowing the promise that Jesus is coming back for us. And so if in this life we suffer, and we will from time to time, we know that there is coming a day when Jesus will make all things right. In James 5.8, he says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, he's speaking to nearness. He's speaking to nearness. His return is, we use the word imminent. He could return at any point. Douglas Moo points out that we're in the last days, uh, as we talked about last week, but the length of this age, of these last days, is unknown. It, it began all the way back uh, when Christ came, died for our sins, was resurrected, ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. We're in the last days. And we don't know. The next thing to happen is Christ is coming back. We just don't know when. We don't know how long this age is, as Moo points out. So we should live every day expectantly. We should live every day like Christ could come back today. Christ could come back tomorrow. Christ could come back this week, this month. We need to be prepared. As Jesus said to us in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. He's coming back, and as James and as Revelation points out, he's coming back to judge, and he's coming back to deliver his people. The return of Christ is our great hope. and We eagerly await his return. We look forward to that. And so until then, because we know he's coming and we know he's going to judge the world, we warn people and we share the gospel with people. We urge people to repent, to believe the gospel. We love people and we, we talk about Jesus to people because we want people to know him as Savior before they meet him as judge. And in suffering, we, we patiently wait, looking up, living every day, longing for the return of Christ. Let me ask you, how would you live differently this week? If you knew Jesus was about to return, what would it change? Who would you share the gospel with that you have not shared the gospel with? Who would you share the gospel with just one more time if you knew Christ was about to return? How would you invest your time differently, your gifts differently, your abilities differently, your resources differently if you knew in your lifetime Christ would return? How would it change your relationships and how you treat people and your, your interaction with the local church? How would all that change if you knew in your lifetime Christ was coming back? Here's the point. You're supposed to live, and I'm supposed to live, like he's coming back. Like he could come back in our lifetime, because he, because he very well may. We, we, we don't know. Live each day with patience and expectancy, looking up, longing for his return. Number two, we need to look in. We need to look in. 
In verse 8, he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. A key to patient endurance in suffering is in the light of the Lord's return, we need to establish our hearts. That word establish means to be resolute. It means to, uh, to prop up. Right? It means, uh, as, as Douglas Moo says, it, the literal Greek is strengthen your heart. Moo writes, what is commanded is firm adherence to the faith in the midst of temptations and trials. As they wait patiently for their Lord to return, believers need to fortify themselves for the struggle against sin and with, and with difficult circumstances. Fortify. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inner disposition that James is calling us to here. He's, it's, it's saying, I, I'm hanging in there with Jesus no matter what may come. I'm not giving up. I believe. I'm going to trust the Lord. It's by God's grace I'm going to be committed to Christ as I await his return. No matter what this fallen world throws at me, no matter what I have to go through, I'm committed to Christ. I'm trusting him. See, suffering's painful. And various degrees of suffering, as we know. And the temptation to sin and to wonder what when we suffer and when we go through trials is very real. So we have to keep a check on our hearts. That's why he says you need to establish your heart because your heart is, can be prone, and my heart can be prone to wonder. We need to, to look in from time to time and, and assess our hearts. Am I fortifying my heart? Am I strengthening my heart? You say, well, how do I, how do I strengthen? As Proverbs says, guard your heart. So, well, how do I strengthen my heart? Well, first of all, you need to be filled with God's Spirit. The Bible tells us that, right? We need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. If I'm not yielded to the Spirit, I'm capable of all sorts of things. I need God's Spirit's help. I need to be in God's Word. God has purposely given us the Word of God. Uh, one of its means is to strengthen us and to help us and to fortify our hearts. We need God's Word regularly in our lives. We need to spend time in prayer, obviously, talking to God. But also, we need God's people, right? Yeah, God has given us His people as a means to encourage us and to help strengthen our hearts hearts. And so we need to do that, and we need to do that at all times because we don't know when the storm of suffering may come. Listen, it's like hurricane prep. When you, when you turn on the weather and you hear, you know, some hurricane out there with some weird name is, is circling in the Atlantic Ocean or in the Gulf of Mexico or wherever it may be, living here in central Florida, we know, okay, we, we kind of got to be ready. And we, we're kind of like, okay, we'll probably be okay because we're kind of in the middle. But then when we start hearing things like Cat 4 or we hear Cat 5, we start taking it a little more seriously in central Florida, right? And so you'll see people boarding up a window and putting tape on things on their windows and stuff like that and doing things just to prepare for the fact of the storm is coming. And all I'm saying is, if you knew a hurricane was about to hit your house, there are, there are precautions that you would take for your house, then you'd get out of there, right? But there are precautions that you would take for your home. And the Bible guarantees you that there is a storm of trials and a storm of suffering that will hit every single life. The question is, are we fortifying our hearts? Are we doing things to prepare our hearts for the storm that will come? James says, establish your heart. Be ready. Be prepared for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In light of the fact that he will come, you need to be ready, and you need to be patiently enduring, and you need, to, you need to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In all trials, by the way, in all trials, it's important to tend to your heart. It's always important to tend to your heart. Even, even in the current cultural moment we're in, this trial that um, we're going through with this pandemic, uh, we need to tend to our hearts during this time. Listen, we, if you aren't able or you don't feel ready to gather in person for corporate worship, you need to understand that that does not negate your need as a Christian for corporate worship. 
God has prescribed that in the Bible for our good and for his glory. And it's good for us uh, to gather together to stir one another to love and good deeds. And so when we can't gather together for health precautions or, and, and things of that nature, we need to understand we need to do whatever we can. Uh, to, to, we, while we can't, re- we can't replace that, uh, this doesn't replace that. Doing this in our home doesn't replace that. But it is something. It's something that we can do as we get through this. And so I would encourage you to continue to engage in the online service. Get involved in the online Wednesday night uh, Bible study. Uh, call other believers. Um, FaceTime other believers. Do things that you can do during this time. And, and listen, if you're someone who, who is back at worship, you're, you're, you're coming to corporate worship and things of that nature, we reach out to those that aren't able to be here. Encourage those people. Uh, they need to, to hear from us. Listen, the body of Christ needs one another. And in this time where so many of us are still scattered, that doesn't negate our need for one another. Just because coronavirus hit, just because the pandemic hit, and just because certain things got shut down for a while, and just because we're having to do things differently for a while, does not change what we need and how God wired us, okay? So we have to do what we can in these moments to get through this as we long for that day when we can all gather together again safely. We need, we need to tend to our hearts, and one of the big needs of our hearts is other believers. And so keep that in mind during this season Um, Whether you're someone who's still at home or whether you're someone who's gathering in person, we need one another. You know, in our life choices, flow from the heart. Flow from the heart. It's the wellspring, Proverbs says, of life. It's why we're called to guard it. And we've seen in James, a big part of that is our words. (laughs) Our words flow right out um, of our hearts, and our words say something about our life. And so when you look down at verse 12, I want to show you kind of how this fits with this. In verse 12, James says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. He's back to speech. He comes back to it over and over again in the book of James. He's concerned about our speech, which is directly tied, Jesus said, to our hearts. And James's point is not that you can't swear under oath in court, by the way. That's not the point of that passage. It is that we should live in such a way that in our daily normal lives, people shouldn't need us to swear oaths to believe us. Right, that we shouldn't have to, to to say outlandish things, or to swear by heaven or earth, or to swear um, just in our normal life to get people to take us seriously. That was common in their day to show people they were serious. And and Jesus taught, and James taught. No, you should live with such integrity uh, that people should just take you should just know they can take you seriously. And if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Right? If you say something's true or not true, it's true or not true. Just, just, he's just talking about living with integrity and honesty in our speech, and we know that flows from our hearts. If we tend our hearts, our speech will follow. And how we live when we suffer matters. How we live in trials matter. How we live in a fallen world matters. How we speak, right? Being a person of our word, it all matters. It flows from the heart. And so we need to look in and we need to tend to our hearts if we want to be able to patiently endure in our suffering in a way that glorifies God, points people to Jesus, encourages others. Number three, we need to look around. Look around. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. Don't grumble, he says, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Well, why would I be judged? Because, listen, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Capital J there in the ESV. Why is that? The judge is Jesus, right? He's talking about the return of Christ. He's saying Jesus is coming back. He's the judge. Live in light of that. Uh, we know as Christians we're not going to suffer for our sins. We don't have to pay for our sins. But, man, we, we love Jesus. We want to honor Jesus. Uh, we want to reflect well on all, him, all he's doing. We're going to give an account to him at the judgment seat of Christ. And so uh, we live in light of that and he says in light of that do not grumble against one another 
How do we treat others around us when we suffer? How do we, how do we treat especially other believers when we suffer? James says, don't you dare grumble against one another and, so that you won't be judged upon the return of Christ. Listen, when are you most likely to grumble and to become frustrated? When you're irritated, if you're like me, right? Uh, when, when you're stressed, when the pressure begins to kind of crack down, when, when does that tend to happen? In difficulty, in trials, in those pressure point moments, in suffering, that's when that happens. Maybe you've had a bad day before. Nothing went right at work. Nothing went right on your, on your drive. You, you, you get home, and after about 30 minutes at home, finally your spouse looks at you and says, what is your problem? Why are you so frustrated? Why would they say that? Because many times, whether we mean to or not, without realizing it, uh, we, we, we will kind of begin to let things out. We'll get grumpy and grumbly with those closest to us, right? Maybe you wouldn't do it at work. Maybe you wouldn't do it at, with a stranger at the grocery store. But then you get home and you're a little snappier and you're a little shorter, right, with, with people in your home. And your family looks at you and says, what is your problem? Because we have a tendency to take our frustration out on those closest to us. We shouldn't, but we do. And believers are spiritual family. And when suffering, when trials come, there's a temptation to be more easily frustrated with one another and to begin to grumble with one another and to begin, and to, people start getting on our nerves and we begin to judge one another more harshly and be more critical towards one another and we get grumbly. But see, we're supposed to go through trials and we're supposed to go through suffering together together God's people are a part of God's recipe for helping us through these difficulties but the temptation is to push away the temptation is to become easily irritated the temptation is to pick a fight to be jealous to be covetous they don't you know that nobody knows my suffering nobody knows what I'm going through they, they this is everything's so easy for them and then it's so easy to find yourself instead of leaning on and drawing encouragement from and investing in the body of Christ when you go through when we go through difficult seasons it's easy to find ourselves grumbling grumbling so James warns against it we need to look around how are we treating others what are our relationship like from the body of Christ the, the same spirit that is to permeate the church in every season is absolutely supposed to still permeate it in seasons of suffering and permeate our lives colossians 3 colossians 3 verses 12 through 14 the apostle paul says this Put on then, this is for Christians at all times, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Paul says, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, we need each other. We need each other. Uh, we need other Christians. So when you suffer, you need to look around and ask, how am I treating my brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and we should always be doing that because if, if, if we're being grumbly now before the suffering starts, we start pushing people away now, if we're alienating ourselves now, if we're putting up walls now, who's going to be there for us when we go through these difficult seasons? And Christ our judge is going to return. He's at the door. He, it, the next step is through the door. Right? Let us be found bearing with one another in kindness, humility, and patience, and love, not grumbling. Finally, number four, James calls us to look back. Look back. 
Look back. We need, we need some perspective is what he's calling us to here. In verses uh, 10 and 11, he talks about the example that we have in the past of, of the prophets and, and uh, of, of Job, right? He's telling us to look back at these Old Testament example. Um, the, the prophets, these people he points out here, uh, he says they spoke, these prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. He says that we have an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What is he saying? These were God's men. These were God-called men fulfilling God's purpose for their life. And these people suffered. Being God's prophets did not exempt them from suffering and difficulty. And no, in fact, many times it, it led to more. It led to persecution. Daniel. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all suffered. We, we studied just this year how Daniel uh, was captured and was exiled, right? The, these folks were steadfast, though. They were faithful. They endured. And we consider them, as he says, blessed. We know God worked in them. We know God worked through them. Consider the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. You know that passage? In Hebrews 11, there's this long list of people of faith. Uh, a lot of Old Testament greats on there, right? Like Moses and Abraham and people like that. And after that long list of all those people you know, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11:32. What more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And then he goes on and says in verse 35 and through 38, some were tortured refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. Legend has it that Isaiah was sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Listen, we need to, we need to understand we aren't the first to suffer. We aren't the first, and that should encourage you that you can look back and see examples in the Old Testament of people that suffered, and God saw them through it, and God was faithful to them. Most of us will never reach the level of suffering of these folks that we just read about. And so when we, when, when we do suffer, especially for doing good, especially for following Christ, we need to realize we're in good company. And when we consider these people James says you call them blessed. They're heroes of the faith. Faith. We, we trust that God took care of them, and it should encourage us that he will also take care of us. We can see God's track record in their life. He gives us the example of Job, right? An example of steadfastness, he says, in suffering. J.A. Motyer says the story of Job is an example of faithful steadfastness, but even more of divine purpose. The blessedness which came to him eventually was not a fairy tale ending in which all lived happily ever after. It was the objective of God from the start. Above all, it was the enrichment of knowing God more fully. That's what happened in Job's life. He knew God more fully. He, knew, he, he, and that, he says here, you heard the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God showed his compassion and God showed his mercy in Job's life. And God has shown his compassion and his mercy throughout the Bible when his people have suffered and he's been faithful to them. And we can, we can look at the prophets and Job and the like and we learn about God through their suffering that he is a compassionate and merciful God. And when we suffer, we learn that. We learn that in, in our own suffering that God is compassionate and that God is patient and that God is merciful to us and so we look back to remember that one thing God will teach us when we suffer is that he is compassionate and that he is merciful and that we will taste that and we will experience that when we go through these difficult seasons. And the main way 
The main way we know that God is compassionate and merciful is what? He sent his son. He sent his son. God, the son, took on, a hum, took on human flesh and without sin, he never sinned, no, not one time, and he suffered and died. He came into this fallen, broken world and he experienced suffering. And he experienced the worst kind of suffering. As the innocent son of God, he suffered on our behalf. He suffered the wrath of God for us. He, he, he took on the wrath of God for you and me and suffered in a way that, that I'll never know or understand because he did it for me. I think it was Augustine who said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Even Jesus suffered and, and took the most intense suffering. And, and Jesus, who endured suffering for us, suffering he did not deserve, suffering for my sin and for your sin, because he suffered in our place, we can receive compassion and we can receive mercy from God. We don't just see it modeled in Jesus. No, because of Jesus, we can receive the compassion of God. We can receive the mercy of God through faith in Christ. We can experience it because what we deserve is more than a, a suffering in this life. No, no, no. We deserve to suffer for all of eternity apart from God's presence Suffering is judgment. Suffering is wrath because of our sin. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus suffered for us. And when we put our faith and trust in him who died in our place and rose again, we can receive compassion and we can receive mercy and we can receive forgiveness and we can receive grace and, and we can know God. And then we get the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us. And then when we suffer in this life, because we do, we still suffer the Spirit is with us. God himself is with us when we suffer. And he promises to use all things for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's working for our good, for his glory. Jesus changes everything. The suffering of Christ has changed everything. Him suffering in our place changed everything. Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted Christ? Have you turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus? Man, if you haven't, if you haven't, I encourage you to do that today. Call upon him uh, as Lord and as Savior. Um, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll turn away from your sin and, and put your faith and trust in Christ who died in your place and rose again, if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, the Bible says he'll save you. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll give you a new heart. The Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life. And no matter what you're going through, God will be with you. If you've got questions about that, email us at info at gonorthpark.com. I'd love to talk with you about it. Or if you receive Christ today and you want to celebrate, that, let us celebrate that with you, email us at info at gonorthpark.com and just let us know that you receive Christ or that you have questions. Believer, through Christ and the power of the Spirit, you and I can patiently endure suffering. God is with us. And, and so we, we need to do what James says here. We need to look up. Uh, our great hope is in Jesus' return, so we need to wait with expectation. We need to look in, guarding our hearts, establishing our hearts, fortifying them. And we need to look around because we need other Christians, and we don't need to be grumbling against one another. We need to be leaning on one another. We need to look back and at the great examples that we have of those who suffered before us and how God showed his compassion and mercy to them. But we especially need to remember Jesus. Because of him, we can receive compassion, and we can receive mercy. And because of him, we know our God is a compassionate and merciful God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today for your compassion and your mercy displayed in your son Jesus. I pray if there's anybody watching today that has not received him, that today, that they would receive him by faith, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, and, and that they would let us know about that. 
Father, I pray for every believer watching, Lord, that you would fortify us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would prepare us for anything and everything. And for some maybe that are suffering at levels that we don't know about right now that are going, whether it's the pandemic or health or something that has, um, that, or, or, or the, the economic things that, that have happened that have, has caused even more suffering in their life, Lord, would you bring them encouragement today? Would you help them today to, to look to you today and to lean on you? And Lord, would you, would you help us to be a people? at North Park, who, who look up longing and waiting for Christ's return, who don't grumble with one another, but lean on one another and encourage one another, who, who take heart with the examples we have in the Bible, uh, and, and who fortify our hearts looking inward so that we might, uh, we might trust you in the midst of our suffering, so that, that when we do suffer, we suffer well for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.